Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the AJ Osborne podcast. I am so excited to get this one started because this one, we're talking about a very important subject that um, I actually don't cover a lot in the podcast, and that's why I wanted to dedicate this subject for the whole amount of time. And I have Sydney O'Sullivan with me, and I'm so excited to bring her on because she's actually got a book and she's writing about this. So it'll be a great way to have a conversation on mindset. Um, With that said, welcome. Well, thank you, AJ. It's wonderful to be here. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me as a guest. I love talking about this stuff. And um, I've been listening to your podcast and um, I'm learning so much. You're getting me thinking about other ways that I could invest. And um, so, but let's talk about, I would actually like to interview you a little bit and ask you, how did you become an investor? Like what got you started? I, I've, I've followed up on your story about how you were paralyzed and yeah. that must have just been terrible. But you had started investing before that, thank yes. goodness. Yeah. You know, I I was lucky because um, I was raised in a family where money was discussed very openly. Um, I, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I was just looking the other day and there's a picture of me on vacation and it's it, me and my dad um, standing there and I have a, a box and I'm holding this box full or this folder full of papers and they were P&Ls that me and my dad were going to go through. So me and my dad like would always talk about business. We were both so interested in it and I lent so much to him that it was for me, I didn't really it was just so organic. I, I I lived in other countries. I was always calling people up, asking them about money. I didn't really have a filter on it. You know, I'm like, oh, so how much do you make? And apparently that's not wise to ask people how much money they make. And so like, I just grew up in a very open conversation about it, which was a huge blessing because, you know, I was always like, that was something I always wanted to do. I always was an entrepreneur. I was an uh, dyslexic kid, you know, with ADD in school. So, you know, school wasn't really my thing. Um, so I think, uh, my parents, uh, helped encourage that. That's amazing. I, I still, most of the business owners I work with still don't know how to read their P and L's. Um, and there you were as a child, you were, you were actually getting informed on not only how to read profit and loss statements, but how to understand them. And, and which is fantastic because what I find is that there's so many people that go into business and they don't even know their numbers. They don't even know if they're profitable, right? Yes. And then, of course, something comes along like this pandemic, and it was a massive clean-out. So many businesses were living, you know, paycheck to paycheck and living on the edge. And a huge part of the American population is made up of small businesses. Yes. You know, of like, you know, they're employing most of the population. I think it's about half the population is employed by small to medium businesses. No, exactly. And, you know, I went through that same thing in 2008 because, you know, I followed in my father's footsteps as far as being a salesman. So we were insurance salesmen, right? And I always liked that because I was in control of my own money, right? I I never had like a normal paycheck like people had. That just didn't exist. 
It was you either go out and sell something and make money or you just don't make money. There's, it was like, you know, feast or famine and, it, you know, you, you learn to swim by jumping in, um, which I, I thought was great. And I, and I, and I really liked that. But it one of the you know, it, there's a lot of downsides to it. And I eventually was like, man, this isn't sustainable for all the reasons that sales jobs, you know, aren't. And we had to figure out better ways. But it really put me like right up in front of the revenue. As in, we're bringing that revenue in. Part of that revenue is mine. Where's the rest going? How do I get it? Like it was, you're very involved in that revenue and that sales job, which I think requires you to look at how the businesses work and how money's coming in and what's coming in very, very differently. And because you were selling insurance, that also gave you an awareness of risk, right? So mm -hmm. when you're selling insurance, you're you're having to say to – were you selling business insurance or was it personal? Yeah, so we were selling like business medical insurance to employee base. And so in 2008, we were working with all of these small businesses and some large businesses that were our clients. And I was working with them as they were all going under. And I was a – fairly young guy as we were sitting here trying to rearrange their this huge expense column and what their benefits are going to look like and do as they were going bankrupt. Um, and that was a, a interesting situation to be in where I got to see the ones that did go bankrupt and the ones that didn't. Yeah. And um, but the insurance part of it would have been interesting because you would have seen what insurance actually works. Like nothing like on the ground experience of, of a yeah. crisis, like to actually see which insurance policies are good to have in place. You know, which ones like I got cancer a few years ago and I had my own business and it was going really well. But that's when I realized all the things that I didn't have in place, all the insurances like, you know, income protection and key yes. man insurance and, you know, things that would have covered me. Um, luckily, I did have really good health insurance and I was living in Australia mm -hmm. and they have a wonderful medical system. But while I was out, my business partner actually, you know, had started a full on embezzlement scheme and stole all the, you know, ended up putting the business out of business. Oh, wow. So it was really, a, a, as you said, you know, like you're talking about, you, you realize all these risk management factors you could have had in place, you know, beforehand, but it's too late if you didn't, if you don't set them up in advance, right? Yes, it is. And, you know, it's interesting too, when we talk about like this mindset going into it and how this information, like how some people react to certain information and how some people build or invest, right? Because when you boil it down to the fundamentals, it's really about perception. It's perception of the future. It's perception of my own abilities. It's perception of possibility, what I can and can't do. Um, and I found that during the recession and even during COVID, there was definitely a type of person that survived better. Um, and the person that was able to be super creative um, and deal well with stress and bounce back from it, they, you know, they were able to navigate the storms of a recession as to some people, you know, it, you know, and not always, obviously there's things that are out of our control, but there was definitely a type of person that came out of that, um, on top. Yeah. You kind of notice there's some people that act like champions and some people that act like victims. Right. And, yes. uh, that's really, so I've been researching this a lot. When the pandemic hit, I was doing really well with live events. I was helping people write their books. So I worked a lot with a lot of speakers and they would always need a book. You know, no speaker should be without a book. Anybody who's in the, in the public eye, right, should, yeah. should write a book. And I had written a lot of them. And um, people kept asking me if I could help them, you know, because they, they wanted a book, but they didn't quite know how to 
structure them. But I really love marketing. Marketing is the stuff is the thing that gets me excited. So I would I was running retreats and um, I would say, you know, we'll work on your book. But when they got there, what we'd really work on was their you know, their million dollar business plan, because that's really what fires me up. And uh, and seeing them like, you know, the light bulbs coming on for them as I introduced them to all this interesting thing, stuff they could be doing. So, for instance, I had one client who came to one of my retreats right before the end of right before the end of live events. Um, and uh, he was running a hundred million dollar company with about 250 franchises. And he was actually thinking about retiring. But by the end of the retreat, just masterminding with the rest of us, he realized that he could actually be selling quarter of a million dollar master franchise licenses. So, you know, it's just about, it's about that whole being around other people who think like millionaires, right? And um, so- Now, how then, did you get to that point though? I mean, you mentioned that you had a business and then you got cancer and uh, then it uh, oh, ended up losing it. My story is a bit like yours. I grew up in Hong Kong and uh, my dad was um, a young, uh, I think he was in the Marines and he ended up getting, learning a lot of electronic stuff. And in his twenties, he got sent from LA to live in Hong Kong to work in one of the big factories. I don't know if you remember Ampex reel to reel discs. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're there. Yeah. <laughs> the original so he went there. The original CD system. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So so we went over to work in Hong Kong and uh, he left. He actually, he and my mom were married very, very young and he ended up um, meeting another woman and leaving us. So we went into like severe poverty, but my mom didn't want to run home to her parents because Hong Kong was actually a super exciting place at that time. It was the Vietnam War was on. A lot of the Americans would come over and do their R&R. So she got jobs, but she was working like three jobs and uh, we and it, it was tough, you know, really lean. So that was kind of my early childhood experience was this just this poverty, you know, but I wouldn't say it was a bad time. Like, you know, a lot of the local shopkeepers and everybody kind of looked after us as kids. And so I think I just got this thing of loving business because I was hanging out in all these little shops and stuff, you know, it was yeah. just part of my life. And um, then my mom remarried and she married a guy who had a really, really good job in the Hong Kong government. So suddenly we went from living in this tiny little apartment with no money to this beautiful apartment and, and he sent us to private schools and I was hanging out with all these kids whose parents were high achievers, you know, and it kind of just, I don't know, I just had this desire to um, be rich. I think it was a result of having been so poor and then being exposed to all this wealth, but but my parents were very frugal in there because my mom had been so poor. She was she never wanted to be in that position again. So everything she earned once she got married, she started investing in real estate. And so my experience was growing up with a mother who was investing in these little family homes, you know, and she had a really good long-term strategy, which was pay them off, you know, get them rented a little bit below market so that the tenants never leave and get them to pay off the mortgage and then buy another one. She's not big on lending, you know, doesn't want to borrow money, but uh, just buys houses and pays them off, buys houses and pays them off. And that's actually been a really great long-term strategy yeah. for her. In that's her, amazing. Um, you know, like now that she's in her 70s, you know, she's got a really good income because she still doesn't spend any money, right? Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny, though, that, that you mentioned yeah. that because it's amazing how that really just shaped. Because like like your mother, my father grew up in extreme poverty. And in America yeah. today, we don't really understand poverty. Like I mean, my he didn't have running water. Like 
at all. He used an outhouse, right? It was like they didn't have the basics. Like in order to eat, he poached. They actually just went in the mountains and would shoot deer and elk or whatever else they could find to eat. Like, you know, hillbilly stuff, right? Uh, and that's, but that's how he grew up. And it's my, my mom came from farming community. So we, we grew, up, grew up in kind of, you know, rural Idaho, but it's very simple. And then that mindset, though, as it came over and what it takes to be successful and what you and need you to think, do. I never lost that value of the dollar, right? That, never. That, you know, no. really like, you know, they, they've always uh, cared about their money and, and cared for yes. it. And that's a, that's a big difference. And I see the the generations of uh, uh, my generation, we were the first generation to get TV. And I actually blame TV a lot on it because they, they've actually been brainwashing us to be consumers, you know, since we were kids. And yes. and then, um, you know, we're the generation. And now, of course, my kids grew up, you know, since the Internet. And it's they're constantly being brainwashed to be consumers. And and now not only do they need to buy everything, but they also have to look a certain way and act a certain way. Yep. And everything is public, right? So yes. it's a whole other psychology. And um, very little of the education they're getting and the stuff that's being put in front of them is about money management, right? None. So very little. And uh, unless they actively go out and seek yes. it. So, um, so I grew up in this environment with all these rich people, but my parents, we worked in the family business, but they didn't give us any money because they were really frugal and all the money was going into investing. And then when we left Hong Kong and went back to live in the States, um, I actually went and lived with my real dad for a little while, who meanwhile had become a self-made millionaire. And um, he would take over tech companies and he'd work for a dollar for a share of stock. And so that way, when the you know, if he improved yeah. the company... He could get a, a dollar for, you know, basically he had skin in the game, right? Yes. So he, as if when they uh, they would reward him based on his performance, right? Yeah. And he was really comfortable doing that. But he wouldn't, he didn't want to teach me about it. I don't know that, I think the thing is a lot of people can do it, but they don't know how to teach it, right? Yes, absolutely. And I still, I'm still seeking a mentor and um, my, I ended up working in a small company, a tech company that had a, a vice president, a young vice president who was a self-made millionaire, and he loved talking about it. And I loved hanging out with him, and I just was asking him, how did you get started? He actually started by taking a cash advance on a credit card and with some of his friends, and they put a down payment on an apartment in Newport Beach, California, that was off the plan. And is that what you call it here in the States? Because I've been living in Australia. Um, it's called what? Off the plan. Uh, we oh. call it off the plan, meaning uh, that off, it hasn't been market. built yet. Yes, off, off market. market. Well, is that what they call yeah. it? Yes, yeah. so it hasn't been built yet, and you're just putting a deposit down, right? Oh, and okay. Then, yeah, no, 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 that's not off market, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, so they've got a development in, in um, you know, they've got a plans for development, and they get people to put deposits down, and then you make mm -hmm. your full payment when the properties are built. So when the property was built, they then sold it at a profit and did it again and again. And uh, anyway, then he ended up investing and in, eventually, uh, you know, invested in his education, actually, went to USC, learned about finance and invested in the stock market, became, you know, educated in stock market investing and became very wealthy. And then he ended up doing something similar to my dad. He'd buy into these companies and grow them. Yeah. So that was kind of like, I actually credit him with giving me the mindset the, the how to think like a millionaire because I was only 20 at the time so I was still very malleable and yes. and interested in learning 
And I then went to university and tried to learn business, uh, you know, get my business degree. But they didn't talk about that kind of stuff. And I can remember the only things I was really interested in were uh, were their marketing classes. I loved the advertising and marketing. So um, anyway, then I eventually moved to Australia. I went there on a holiday, met a guy who believed in me. I've been suggesting business ideas to my parents, like, ever since I was a teenager. Yeah. But they used to say... Um, you're 20. What do you know about business? I know we're retired. We're not investing in anything with you. You know, I don't even know you're good for it. Right. Yes. So they didn't even realize that they were kind of holding me back just with their mindset, but because they hadn't really been entrepreneurial, they didn't understand, you know, the desire to be entrepreneurial. Yes. They kept saying, just get a job, just get married. Right. Yeah. And (laughs) so I ended up meeting this guy in Australia and he believed in me. He was the first guy to say, look, I've got a good job. If you want to start a business, I will support you while you get it up and running. Just don't bankrupt us, please. Right. So mm-hmm. I ended up deciding uh, I, at that time we had no Internet. I didn't know where to learn about business. And I found a book on how to start a business at the library, which I read cover to cover. And I decided I'll start with food because I had worked in restaurants and I thought I will start with food because people always have to eat. So there's a margin of Forgiveness, as long as you don't poison them and kill them. You know, so um, <laughs> so when I got to Australia, I found a business that was really run down, and it had a lot of equipment. It was fully equipped. It had been there for like thirty years. It was a, a deli, and I I bought the business for fifteen thousand. And my husband came up with the idea. He had an accounting background, uh, education, and he came up with the idea of selling all the equipment to a leasing company and the leasing company gave us like $25,000 for the equipment and then we leased it back. So they have cash to put into business. So what mm. I like to, the reason I like to share that story is that you don't need to have money to get started, right? Yes. Yes. That's the, very creative. I, was, I like that a lot. Yeah. So the people I was buying it from were um, desperate to get out because they weren't doing a good job of running it, which you see everywhere. Opportunities like yes. that are probably everywhere, everywhere. right now. Yeah. And here I was, I was only still, still in like 25 and I've just bought my first deli. And I remember I had a week's training with the lady and she was in her forties and maybe even older. And she was telling me all the reasons that the business was a disaster on the first day. And I remember going home that night and thinking, what was I thinking? Oh my God. Like, you know, I don't know how to run a business. What have I done? And um, I slept on it. And in the morning I said to her, you can go. I'll be okay. Because her negative negativity was freaking me out. Yeah. And that's another thing about millionaire mindset, I think, in hindsight, looking back, right? Mm-hmm. It's like surrounding yourself with positive people who have answers, not people yeah. that are constantly blaming, complaining, and, and focusing on the problems, right? Yeah. So, I, I, that's uh, so true. Like, you know, this idea, too, that, you know, a lot of people are like, um, entrepreneurs are too positive or blind. And I like, it's like, no, I'm very aware of the downsides. So then I prepare for them. So there's no reason to sit here and mull, mull over them. Right. And if there's a problem, I don't need to hear this can't be done. That doesn't help me. So why even say it? Like, let's figure it you know out. What? Whenever I, I come up against something that I really want and I can't figure out how to get it, I remind myself to, I think this, this worked for me once. And I always try to remind myself to say, what's the opportunity that I'm not seeing yet? Uh-huh. So just because I haven't experienced this before and I haven't been through this and I, you know, this is a new wall for me to break through. Yeah. Who do I need to talk to, to find out how 
Yes. You know, like if I don't have the answers, who does? Yes. It's about being positive, right? Exactly. I love that. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I built that business up. I actually turned it into a catering business and it became really, really successful. And we sold it and uh, we were exhausted. We were doing so much catering, yeah. weddings and birthday parties and Christmas parties. And we sold it to a big, rich caterer who had a yacht, and he wanted the he wanted it for the kitchen, the commercial kitchen, and the catering. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we, um, I, I actually went to university finally in my adult like adult age. I was now what twenty six, and um, <laughs> decided to go and finally get my degree. So I got my marketing degree because I realized that. You needed to know how to market your business if you wanted to grow. And I really had this idea that I could do a chain of these stores, you know, once I figured out this catering formula. Yeah. Um, but but I, in Australia, there's not as many, uh, there's just not as many people that are willing to work in restaurants as there are, say, in the States. So I ended up doing it again. I went and worked a corporate job, a corporate marketing job for a few years while I did my degree. And then... One day I went to have lunch and the place I was having used to have lunch in, which hadn't been well managed, had closed down. So I said to my husband, I want to do it again. And he was like, no, because uh, <laughs> I had a really good corporate job at this stage. Uh -huh. And um, the but there's something about, you know, the corporate job was a lot of work and a lot of responsibility for not all that much pay, really. Yeah. And uh, I ended up so I took over this place. It was a lot harder because it was already closed down. And I had to refurnish it. And that meant there was a lot of more codes, like, you know, uh, government codes and everything. I had to, uh, it was a bigger process to start from scratch, but, you know, all, all good learning. But that one, I was, it was a much better location because it was surrounded by offices and the catering was up and running in no time at all. And I actually ended up selling that one within three or four months of opening, of reopening it and made more money than I would make in three years in my corporate job. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like, I want to do it again. Yeah. And uh, I started looking for another one. And, um, but at this stage, my husband was also working in it. In a, we'd been buying uh, houses as well. We'd been buying and flipping houses and, yeah. Um, and he had bought into the business he worked for. And he said to me later, he thinks every one of those deals we did, we learned from, right? So we're buying and selling, buying, growing and selling. And um, the company he bought into, he, he came home one day and he said, I want to buy into this business because I think I can turn it into a multi-million dollar business. And we didn't have very much money at that stage because we had just bought another house and we were pretty maxed out. And... Um, as I remember, I think the corporate job, the main reason for that was for me to be able to get our first mortgage because we needed a, somebody had to be in a long-term job to get a mortgage, right? So yeah. anyway, uh, we ended up borrowing from everybody we could. He put this deal together. We bought out one of the managing directors in this company. And within a few years, we had floated it on the stock market at the top of the tech firm. We became multimillionaires. Wow. Which was pretty awesome. Yeah. That's way <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now tell and, me, um, what, tell me more about this company. So it was a tech company, yeah. and uh, one thing I would say they did very, very well was the guy that we bought out. He he saw the power of outsourcing early on, so he actually said, "I think there's a lot of companies that are running their own information technology departments who sh who shouldn't be right. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could take over their MIS needs." So we set up these purpose-built facilities where um, 
we had economies of scale, so people could bring their big machines in. They would be, they'd have backup. They'd have, you know, every night they'd be backed up. They'd have backup power. They would have all their, you know, what do you call that virus, you know, stuff um, properly looked after. Yeah, Yeah, all that um, anti-hacking, you know. And so instead of a company like Range Rover looking after their computers, which when they're a car business, right, or Nestle is one of our clients, um, they could outsource that to us. So we had these secure facilities around the city in, in Australia. And they, you could have like two guys sitting all night or 24 hours. You could have two guys sitting watching the computers and managing everything for like 10, 10 different companies. Yeah. So, so it was a no-brainer for them. Yeah. And the way, and my husband was also a lawyer, so he had he would set up these contracts so that if um, if they didn't um, if they wanted to break the contract, we still made the same amount of money as if they stayed. Uh-huh. So we were, it, was a, it was a pretty good, yep. pretty good business. That's and the awesome. only reason people would would, would leave would be uh, because they would get a new MIS manager who had an ego. And, you know, that's usually this is the, the what I've noticed in all of my little businesses and all of the entrepreneurs I work with now and all the people I help with writing their books and all the big businesses that my husband's gone on to run. There's this human nature there's this human behavior that it's the same across all of them and it's fear and greed just what drives investing and what drives the stock market and ego have you seen that too oh yes absolutely well let's get in and talk to this your story is just awesome and i and i love it and i could talk about you know this all the time but you've got to you know, do such a wide range of businesses, which I find very, very interesting. Everything from, you know, the food. I've done just about everything. And you've written books. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I like that. I love the perspective that comes along with that and the people that you've been able to reach. So why don't we talk about what, what do you see that makes the difference in individuals um, that really sets them apart? Well, um, I would I'll tell you from my experience of the last few months was the last year, I guess. Um, I was running events, a lot of events. I was making a couple hundred thousand a month running my live events, which were, you know, retreats that were like parties. I loved it. And my last one was in Beverly at the Beverly Hilton over March 13th. And they uh, I guess 2020, yeah. they literally came in and said, do you mind if we move you to the to the poolside and we'll give you all you can eat buffet? But we got to shut down the conference center because they were shutting L.A. down. And, uh, you know, and it was terrifying because we were just like, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if it was going to be some plague, you know, and we yeah. were all going to die. Yeah. And, um, so I. I ended up um, getting some messages from my kids were still in Australia and they were like, can you um, come home in case that, cause they're talking about closing the international boundary, you know, borders. Yes. So I literally just, Flew back to Vegas, which was so eerie because they had shut down L.A., like flying out of L.A. and there's no cars on the road is so foreign because yeah. it's always right, on the freeways. Uh-huh. And they're flying into Vegas and everything's turned off, no lights, everything, all the casinos are shut, uh-huh. the hotels are shut. And, you know, a month before they'd had the CES and they'd had 200,000 people in Vegas for one conference, right? Yeah. So this impact of, of what it was, and I kept thinking, what is this going to do to our economy? It's it's diabolical, right? Yeah. And um, so I ended up flying straight back to to Australia. I literally got in right before they closed off the international borders, and 
I went into two weeks uh, lockdown. I had to go into self-isolation, you know, my house all by myself. And I was really depressed. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I thought, I'm going to see what all my friends are doing. I'm going to see what all my friends who run events, you know, my really successful friends who are also speakers and event uh, conference uh, organizers, what they're doing. In fact, I'm going to make a, I'm going to do a summit. I'll actually, we'll record our conversation so that other people can benefit, you know, from what yes. we're all doing. And, and so I started organizing this, this whole series of interviews with these people who were having to move their businesses online really quickly. And, um, and I think this is what's, I was doing some research in, in preparation for our, our talk today. And uh, Kinsey just put out a report about the state of, of the economy. And they were saying that, the businesses that are able to become omnipresent, the ones that are able to start moving from brick and mortar, online, on apps, on podcasts, on TV, or whatever it takes, right? Yep. They're the ones that are going to thrive, and they're the ones that are actually doing the, the best out of, I mean, we're seeing huge businesses, you know, folding all over the place yep. and being snapped up by by some, some smarter guys who, who know what to do with them and how to revive the brand, right? Yep. Or move it online is what a lot of them will do. Yep. And um, so anyway, so th what I found was when I started interviewing all these other millionaires, and I actually started working with Jack Canfield, who has been a millionaire. I mean, he's been working, I think he he's sold almost a billion books. He was the guy that wrote the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. And, yeah. and a lot of people don't realize that after they sold the Chicken Soup for the Soul brand, he went on to write the Success Principles books. And he's now sold about 4,000 coaches into his coaching program. So he's turned Jeez. that into another multi-million dollar business. But we, we've all been talking about this. And what we've noticed is that's the kind of behavior that separates the people that succeed and, and bounce quickly Versus the ones that are still in denial and waiting for this to go away before they can get back to business as normal, right? Yeah. It was, it was, we all started calling each other and going, what are you doing? Right. And, you know, you're doing this podcast. So you're talking to people all the time. What's mm -hmm. working for you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That is what I need. That's the millionaire mindset. It's like, I'm alone. I'm depressed. My business is destroyed. What's everybody else doing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So true. Like it's, it, you know, when everything started to go off, a lot of people like, well, we're just going to stay at home. Let's press pause and see if this comes back on. Um, there was no pause for us. There was, in fact, it was the opposite. I was, you know, we're in the office, me and my two partners every single day, even when we closed down the office, I'm calling, I'm having Zoom meetings with everybody I can think of across the way. And it was like, hey, how do we do? What are we going on? What are we going to do here about this? And it was immediate action time. It was, there was no pause at all. Yeah. And like my first book, you asked me about how I got into writing books. So I had wanted to write a book for a while. I'd met a woman who was a best-selling author and she'd said, your story is amazing. You know how you did all this flipped all these houses and flipped all these businesses and and then uh, and then floated this company and by the way I do need to tell you that it wasn't like we stayed multimillionaires for long because shortly after we floated was the tech crash yeah so our stock our stock went when you know massively got dragged down with the rest of the tech stocks yeah. and then then I rebuilt I rebuilt with uh, real estate and you know and uh, and of course our shares started to pick up value over time and um, we learned a lot. Like when you're a public listed company, now you have to keep you have to keep growing your share price. Otherwise, the analysts are constantly telling people not to buy your stocks, right? So, yes. so then, 
So my husband figured out really quickly that the secret was mergers and acquisitions. So he got into acquiring other companies. So mm-hmm. that was a whole other learning curve, right? Yep. And uh, and then eventually we sold that company, and it uh, got the company. A big telco bought it and privatized it and sold off the asset. So. Um, Anyway, but what we so then we you know we rebuilt in the with real estate and then guess what we had the two thousand seven two thousand eight crash right yep. so <laughs> I got burned there too and uh, you know I had I was too leveraged a lot of people were you could literally not, not just that say, I yes, love that burn. not that I love that you got burned but I kind of you know I love that you got burned and we're sitting here talking about it because that's how it works. It's a, it's, you know, like I have actually decided that becoming wealthy is only part of the equation, right? You have to, you have to understand how to manage your risks because it doesn't matter how wealthy we were, we were, we were worth like a hundred million dollars at the top of what, you know, when our company floated and we only had 10% of the company because we remember we went in with hardly any money. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and but then we didn't know things like uh, we just we didn't know like we ended up gifting a whole bunch of of our family and friends shares because they'd helped us along the way, and then we found out that we had to pay the taxes if we'd sold those yeah. shares. You know, it's little things like that. Yeah, that you don't know you don't know until you find out. Until right? you find out, and you got to learn. <laughs> it's not like there's like too many manuals on this stuff, you know. And that's the thing a lot of people don't understand. They want that blueprint in on, entrepreneurship, and it's like I make the blueprint. It's there is nothing sitting out there that I can turn page to page. There's the foundationals, the principles. There's what I believe that you can take and learn from successful people that I can implement in my life and my mindset, my vision. But at the end of the day, when I'm on the phone in the uh, this morning and we're calling, you know, every from real estate or retail people, we're trying to put deals together, we're trying to make them work. It's all brand new. Nobody has a blueprint for this. It's up to us to make this all f- get figured out and work, right? And if I don't, it just doesn't happen. That's well, how it works. Well, and it's about, and I think, you know, as I was saying before, so I've got a couple of open loops I want to close here. Like one, one of the things that I was, you know, we were saying um, there is no blueprint and you you don't always have the answers and you don't know what you don't know until it's too late. That's where it's really great to have mentors and surround yes. yourself with people who, who have already been there or, you know, yeah. could advise you of what could go wrong. If you ask, you know, yes. if you're coachable, if you say, hey, listen, I'm thinking Go about find the answer. Kmart went out of business and I'm thinking about buying this massive warehouse and turning it into self-storage. And it's going to put me into, an, you know, a huge debt. Is there another way I could do this so that I could minimize my risk? Yes, right? exactly. And, and yeah, and they'd be like, well, yeah, there's yeah. this insurance and there's these investors and there's this, yes. right? Um, uh, so anyway, it's the, so when I, just, when, I, when I lost a whole bunch of my money, I lost about $10 million in 2008 because I had to liquidate. And I thought, I really liked being rich and I want to be there again, but I don't, I don't want it to take 20 years like it just did, like, you know, on jackhammers and, you know, renovating properties and renovating businesses. Learn how to be. I was by this stage. I was a seminar junkie. I loved. I'm a lifelong learner. So I thought I want to be one of those people on stage, making millions of dollars, and um, you know, selling from stage. And I thought about it, and I was like, but I'm not good at doing people's trainings, and I don't have the patience for it. And I've been wanting to write a book. Why don't I ask a whole bunch of the people I admire if they'll let me interview them for a book? And so I started asking all these people, and they said yes. And I said. So here's what I want you to tell me. I want you to tell me how you'd make a million dollars fast. 
you know, doing what you do. And so I ended up getting all these interviews. I think I recorded like 100 hours of interviews with millionaires because I remember one guy talked for like six hours. Whoa. You know, if you let them go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, then I had to kind of go through. It was a learning process, but I went through and I sort of stripped out the essence of of what they were all saying. I wanted. I was looking for universal principle, principles, mm-hmm. you know, things that they were all saying So because I thought, well, if they're all saying I would do this, then that's probably what I should do. Right? Yes. Um, and I wrote the book and the book became um, a hit. But I got kind of pushed off track because I, I launched Millionaires Academy, which is my my program. And I launched the book was going to be called The Fast Millionaire Formula. But I was publishing it with a publisher and they said to me at the last minute, we don't like the name. You know, it's the end of, it's the, end of the, depra- the whole 2008-10 cycle. Yeah. There might be a backlash. It sounds get rich quick. You know, we, we want you to change the name. So I ended up changing the name to Social Marketing Superstars. And I'm still really proud of the book. But it, I never really got to do the millionaire thing, which was what I was really interested in. I, that yeah. was really what I was uh, wanting to learn more about. And people, basically everywhere I went and I started speaking about it, people would say to me, how did you get the interviews? How did you write the book? Yeah. And because uh, <laughs> funnily enough, there aren't that many people that are really interested in being a millionaire. You know, there's so many people with stinking thinking that they all they can think about is how am I going to get my first house or, uh, you know, keep make my business profitable. Would you agree? Yes, 100%. Yeah. And so I'd be interested in like what you've found in your experiences. But anyway, that's how I got my book written. Lots of people asking me to help them with their books. So I ended up becoming a publisher and helping lots of people write their books, but from a marketing perspective. And, um, and then uh, now I'm actually writing a book on millionaire mindset, which I'm finally 10 years later, COVID has done me a huge favor. I'm back in my lane doing what I love, interviewing millionaires all the time, which is just like I'm living in, I think I live in a different world than most of the other people that are going through this pandemic. Yeah. Cause yeah. of the masterminding. Mm-hmm. And you moved like, to, and you've moved all that stuff online. Yeah. So we're, um, we're going to launch uh, like a OTT TV show. I've been offered a show on a network, like a, a wealth network that they liked what I was doing and they're looking for, but there are some people that are setting up these networks, yeah. but they're just looking for content. They're looking for quality content, you know? Yeah. And so, um, so what I've been doing is I've been recording my interviews by zoom. So I've got the video and then I turn the audio into a podcast and the podcast is launched and, um, it's going really well. It's actually getting some great reviews, which is nice. My first couple of reviews were really bad people, you know, cause it's called how to be a millionaire. So people were like, you know, she must be a scammer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there's all those people that hate people, you know, who want to be millionaires just yep. because they think it's bad. There's all this evil, there's all this evil around being rich. Right? Uh-huh. And, and uh, anyway, and then, but then I started every time I would interview people, I would say, would you mind promoting and would you mind giving me a review? So then we started turning the tide and now we've got mostly five stars, but That's I think awesome. I've just kind of gotten to a point in my life where I don't care what anybody else thinks. And that is incredibly freeing. Yeah. When you realize, you know, this is my lane. This is what I'm interested in. I don't care if people like me. I don't care if they agree with me. Well, you can't please everybody. So, yeah, you know, once you realize that doesn't matter how you are, no matter what, 50% of people are just not going to like you and or more. And it's like, it doesn't matter what you do. 
It doesn't matter who you try to appease. You can't. It's impossible. So it's just better to forget about that altogether and realize whatever lane I'm in, those people generally like me. So if I'm in that lane with those people, they'll like me. The other lane won't. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, online, everybody can say. I just that's what I realized. I was like, you know what? I would rather work. I'm at the point in my life where I'm, you know, I'm pretty much retired now. So I'm, it's, I'm just doing working for the pleasure of it. So if I'm at the point where I want to work with people who want to be millionaires. I love doing that. I love hanging out with millionaires. I don't need a lot of them. I just need a few really motivated people. I can't help everybody. Yeah. So I have a nonprofit that I set up. So all the interviews I do that goes into a free training program for uh, just so that I can feel like I'm making a difference for anybody who wants it. It's available freely. Um, and the the monetization, how we're monetizing it is we run a millionaire's mastermind. So people can join us to work on their business every month in a mastermind group. And yeah. uh, and then I've started recording training programs in, that will accompany my book and we'll sell that, the training program as well. It's a millionaire mindset program. So, and then next month will be another program uh, around, you know, basically I have a system where I, I had to think about if I want to make this promise how to be a millionaire, I got to get people from where they are to where they want to be. That's a big, that's a big, you know, promise I'm making. And what do I have to fix first? And I thought, first of all, if they don't have the right mindset, it's never going to happen because I've worked with hundreds of people on their books. And I've noticed that if they want to sabotage well, you're just never going to get that book done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And if they, if they are um, determined to, like if they have a blueprint, a money blueprint, that means um, they never feel comfortable with wealth. You, you've seen this. I'm sure yeah. you've seen this. I've seen it with so many people. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many times, how much, how rich they become. They're not happy. No. Or they're not or they'll lose they'll it. They'll lose it. Yeah, you know, we have a yeah. we have a saying with um, uh, brokers in our sales organization is everyone has an income, and it doesn't matter what you do when they hit that income, they just won't go above it. And it's if like they go if they go above like it, timeline. yeah, if they that's go above it, they end up coming back down, and they'll go above it for short periods of time, and then they always revert back down to that one. You can see it with every single person; they all have a different one, and it generally speaking remains the same over a long period of time. And I thought that was so interesting to see in salespeople, how there really was. There were some that were just rock stars and it just seemed like they were always pushing the ceiling. And there were others that all fell into different, different alleyways, different things. And it wasn't, and it wasn't even due to natural talent. It wasn't nothing like that. And that's what was so interesting. You all have the same resources. You could sell more, you can do more, right? But some were, it's it's hard to explain. Some would just utilize the tools, do the principles that allowed them to get more and do more. Then they're telling the other ones exactly what to do. The other ones will do things for a little while, but then they'll all revert back down to where they've always been. Or they'll overspend. Like they they might be consistently good earner, but they're constantly living beyond their means. And that brings me back to this whole thing of us being the TV generation, now the internet generation is that we are we're, we're taught to buy 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 but we're not taught to you know any uh, the old fashioned principles that our parents were raised with delayed gratification mm-hmm. um you know if you can't save for it then maybe you don't need it right yes. if you uh 
if you really want it, uh, what's a way you can get like, so I remember seeing a guy in a Robert Kiyosaki conference where he talked about how he and his wife, they make, made a deal between them that if he wanted to buy a fancy car, then he had to buy an income producing property to generate the, the money for the car. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. how can I, how could I create an investment that will pay for my toys? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that is really what our, our nation is, is struggling with right now is, you know, the government is giving them stimulus checks and they're going right out and they're buying big screen TVs and cars and stuff, you know, and yeah. um, I, I'm just really worried about what's going to happen when, when the, well, the government's been supporting us for years. Yeah. We're almost, God forbid, you know, socialist. Yeah. No, it's it's true. It's a, <laughs> it, you know, it's like, you know, we talk about it all the time. That's going to get me in trouble. Oh, that's just fine. <laughs> People can be upset about that. That's okay. Uh, because you're right. What happens when the government goes away? What happens when Daddy Warbucks stops handing out the bills? Um, and that is a huge concern. When, when us thinking in the future and looking at it, and I'm going, okay, well, we've now been on this for so long. What does the future even look like not being on it? Um, and the question is, is I don't think we're ever going to go back to anything normal. I think for the vast majority, I think the government has basically set a system in place to where it it's going to keep stimulus type things where they're going to go, okay, well, we're going to drop the stimulus on this, but we've decided that this sector and this uh, uh, part of the economy can't live without this. So we are going to keep supplying it and well, they're, they're I, never going to roll it out. One of the things I've been asking a lot of the millionaires that are thriving, they're absolutely crushing it in this environment. Like one of my friends moved her online uh, to her live events online and made a million dollars in a month. It was like, you know, she was just like, we were all cracking the champagne and going, you know, you, you've broken the girl barrier, you yeah. know? And, uh, yeah. And she's yes. consistently done it. Like she's consistently done it now for over six months, you know, not a million dollars a month, but made but, at yeah. least you know, at least two or 300,000 doing everything online. And um, another one of my friends, he had to move all his businesses online and he's gone over a hundred million in sales. He said, I never want this to end. It's been the best thing ever for us because he used to have all the expenses of running big live conferences. Now it's all online mm-hmm. and um, it's, there's the expenses have gone way down. There's a global market now. Yeah. They can market to people in any time zone. And, uh, you know, so I've been speaking to a lot of people who are really doing well right now. And then, of course, they're investing in good commercial real estate, which is going for, mm-hmm. you know, it's there's, there's a whole bunch of warehouses sitting empty because people have had to shut down. Yep. So, you know, right now, this is one of those. They say you can make more money in a depression than, you know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're positioned right. So what are you guys doing? Are you, are you um, like, I see this as one of the greatest transfers of wealth we've ever seen in our lifetime. Yeah. We're doing the same thing like we did in 2008. I mean, right when COVID hit, we jumped on a bunch of properties that were depressed going in bankruptcy and we snatched those up quick. I rolled out my book right after COVID hit. So last summer, Um, and, uh, then we got, I got way more involved in, um, kind of the educational space in my industry, um, doing podcasts, things like that, because I was getting deals on the back end. And so then we are focused on buying, we buy underutilized or 
struggling businesses and their buildings, and then we turn them into a different utilization, um, which has been very profitable for us. Um, and so you're right. It was, in fact, it was funny because I went, I was like, geez, man, I, you know, the year before um, 2021, you know, I, I didn't do one deal, not one deal, because I was like, yeah, nothing makes sense. The year after we did, we got probably about 13 million in deals. And by the fourth quarter of uh, last year, we had a whole. Wait, wait, you're saying saying 2019, you didn't, 2020, you did a whole bunch. Yes. And then, because you said 2020. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Got to get my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Before, yeah, pre COVID, after COVID. Pre pandemic. (laughs) Pre pandemic, we did like no deals (laughs) at all for a year. After pandemic, we immediately got two of the best deals we've ever had. And then by the end of that year, we'd had just lineup of deals that we were doing. Um, like it, this year will be ha- hands down our biggest year ever. And that's primarily because of last year and because of COVID um, and what it did. And so it's interesting that two the people that decided to go for it and other people just step back once again. They said, whoa, hold on. And the people stepping back creates opportunity for the people to jump in. And it creates lots of it. Yeah, well, I actually took the first break I had taken in months, uh, years, years. I've always been just a workaholic. And uh, the pandemic forced me to either move my events online or take a break and really think about what, I, what did I want to do. And I decided that I wanted to rebrand, go back to this brand that I'd started 10 years ago and do something that I really love. And I'd done a whole business plan where I was like, wow, this could be a million dollars a month lifestyle business right and so and i don't mind how long it takes to get it all launched because i'm doing what i love and i and because i have a plan and that's the other thing i think that millionaires do that other people don't do is they they will do the numbers they'll sit down they'll work out all the numbers they'll they'll create a plan they won't rush in blindly like even when i when i bought my second restaurant um, I, the one that was empty, I, my husband said to me, I don't know, you're going to quit your good corporate job to go and start this business. I went and sat in front of it and counted the amount of people walking by and then did some calculations. I, if the percentage of those people went in for lunch, could we be profitable? And then that helped us negotiate the appropriate rent, which also helped us sell the business later because businesses, what you have to pay for your rent, it makes a big decision on you know buying a business yeah so um so it was it was really about knowing before we went in that it was going to be profitable and then and then i had another learning too was that i had too many staff and after i sold it i i a couple of them quit and i didn't replace them and all of a sudden we became much more profitable so that was another lesson was finding that balance right and i guess you guys are probably working on this all the time you know it's funny um i have a friend that um has a company that has hundreds and hundreds of employees. And after the recession, they laid off 50% of all their employees. And we were talking and he said, you know what? The one thing that we've been amazed by is we can do the exact same amount of revenue with less employees. So wow. they hired some back, but they never even got close. They they basically kept it at 50% off, uh, off where they were from. And that's, you know, an interesting thing to think about and understand that happens. And it, it, it goes to tells a lot about the times. 
um, you know, when times are too good for too long, companies run very inefficient. And when times get bad, they have to run efficiently. And then they have no incentive to go back because it's way too profitable to run efficiently. And, uh, you know, that's they're allocating different resources in different ways. And they're doing, you know, all these different kind of things. And that's uh, people, you know, some well, people are like are incorporating AI and robotics. And in fact, yes. that is the people. That's what's going to happen. And people better be realistic about it and start retraining and thinking about Jobs that need your brain, because that's one thing that they can't do is, is customer service and sales. Yes, and, uh, creativity, all... you know, like yeah. interpersonal connections. Um, you know, it's funny because even like, you know, a few years ago, people were talking about like, oh, you need to be a really good coder. You need to understand AI and everything. And I actually disagree with that because I'm like, uh, that seems very replaceable to me as in what happens, like there's a certain level of people that are coding and doing it that can't be replaced. But all the basic stuff we've already seen, it starts to go away. It goes away because those are replaceable, actionable jobs. Like the things that can't be replaced are industry and fields that I'm like, you really need to look at. Like this idea of even this consultative by nature, like we, you know, in the health benefits world, right? It's up here. It's not on a computer. They've got to ask us how to construct it. And, and it's, we got to figure it out from scratch. There is no designed planned way like that doesn't exist. So you can't repeat it and remodel it. Um, and so when you look at what value you can create in society as well, you better be looking as an entrepreneur and investor. I'm always looking how, what company is going to replace this? Where's like, I look at it and say, where's my Uber? What's coming in to replace this? Something yeah. that I never could I mean, think of. Look, look at what's happened in the last few years. I mean, Amazon, one of the biggest, you know, retailers that doesn't, you know, a lot of the stock isn't even carried, right? Yep. Um, the, uh, like, particularly with the books and everything, you know, they just print them when they need them. Exactly. And, uh, the, then you look at, um, you know, Uber is one of the largest taxi companies that has no cars, right? And uh, uh, Airbnb, one of the largest hotel companies that has no stock. Yep. Really? No, doesn't carry stock. So these are the opportunities uh, that, you know, there's clever people coming up with clever ideas all the time. And um, that's kind of what I, why I'm I'm out there talking all the time, because I want to say to people, you know, wake up. This is this is the time to look yes. at retraining or start something new, get online, move your business online. Think about apps. Yeah. Think about what happens if we lose the Internet. Right. I think what, what you just said is probably the number one benefit. I go look at look at business models that aren't integrated online. Integrate them online. That's it. That's all you need to yeah. do. That's it. Yeah. Like you will be a millionaire. I promise you right now. Like that's essentially all we did in our business. I found big uh, storage facilities that were run very poorly, an open sign, and they had their numbers in yellow pages. And we thought, well, why don't we make it look good, make an online why store we, and start advertising out? online? That's it. And then you got, and then you got an app, so exactly. you could make it more customer centric, right? Yep. You can, you can get your all everything done online. You never even have to talk to a person. Codes, keyless systems, all of it. And I look, and if you look at every business model right now, the lowest hanging fruit. Go find business models that are still not adapted yet and integrated with online business models. Go there, because they have to be, and they will be. And we're in one of the greatest opportunities the world has ever seen. Because the old world is moving to the new world and whoever's there to help them move over and owns that equity in that transition, they're going to get that equity at a massive multiple once it's, tr uh, once it's transitioned in the new world.
Yeah, I can give you another example. We've just solved the problems of the, of the economy. That's right. Uh, Done. We're awesome. We're in, geniuses. In one podcast. Um, <laughs> Um, but one of my clients was, uh, they were focused on the airline industry. They do artificial intelligence and they were focused on the airline industry and they had a multi-million dollar contract with one of the big airlines just about to go through when COVID hit. And they were like, oh, wow. I mean, watching the airline industry just pretty much get decimated around the world. And, um, so they, they started looking around for other industries they could move to, and um, they found wind farms. Now, there's wind farms everywhere, and they're full of windmills, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't automated. So they, the guys were still climbing up the ladder to go to look, look at a windmill to see what was wrong with it. And they need constant maintenance, right? So, yeah. So they, were, so they had these guys have, had to climb up the ladder to go look at the windmill. And if he couldn't fix it, then he had to climb back down and go to the computer and look up what it might be. So they created an app for these guys so that while they're up on the ladder at the top of the windmill, you know, they can actually plug it in and it'll do a diagnosis. And uh, they can consult with some of the other, you know, the other technicians and all do it rather than, you know, so uh, they were saying to me, we just couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe that these wind farms were so we're not online, right? Yeah. You know, they didn't have. So exactly what you're saying. It's yeah. another great and example. And it's, it's interesting, too, like people think about it's one inefficiency in a big thing. I'm not telling you to go. When I say business models, I'm not telling you to be an Uber and do an entire industry. Find one point in a business system or process that needs to be adjusted. Like you just said, it, he didn't go and change the windmill industry, but he solved the problem of going down a ladder which is a big problem, right? And two, to that company. thousands of windmills exactly. and they all have to be constantly maintained, right? Exactly. And there's <laughs> yeah. so many business models out there that have ladders that people are using, right? I mean, we looked at an industry that just needed an adjustment in marketing. And we look at other industries that's like, this just needs to be over, moved over in a little way. So find one system in a business process that you can adjust to make efficient and businesses will pay you handsomely for it. Now that's well, awesome. I, I am so happy we had this chat because you've so inspired me. I'm excited. I'm going to go well, look for some business. You, everywhere I yeah. go now, I'm going to yeah, Everywhere we go, we're just going to be thinking about this. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for coming on. And too, could you please tell everybody where they can go to find more about you and learn more about you? Sure. They can go to millionairesacademy.com and get access to my free training and find all my books on Amazon. Uh, Sydney O'Sullivan, um, I got quite a lot of books on there and most of them are about creating wealth. So, cause that's my, that's my jam. So. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. Well, thanks for coming on here yeah. and chatting. It's been a pleasure and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, thanks AJ. Lovely, lovely to meet you.